Hey everyone, Jason Torchinski here. And first, thanks for listening. Second, thanks to our new sponsor, Marble. Marble? We got we got a rock to sponsor our podcast? <laughs> no, David. Marble with a capital M. It's the only all-in-one app for managing your insurance policies and getting rewarded for it. Okay, all right. Well, I have a bunch of cars that I think they're all probably insured, so this could help. Probably not, but Marble's great. It's fast and it's easy to set up as it'll put all of your different insurance policies in one place for you. It's free, which we love around here, being cheapskates, and it will automatically alert you if your rates are going to increase, probably with some kind of really loud sound. Once you set it up, you don't have to do anything as it does it for you, like a robot trained to monitor insurance. And you get marbles, which you can redeem for rewards or use to donate to charity. A marble spewing robot. Whew, that sounds great. How many marbles did you get from it? I got, let's see, two, 900 marbles. Uh, what do you do with that many marbles? I just put them all on a Target gift card. Okay, what'd you do at Target? What'd you get? I got a big uh, crap load of Hot Wheels. I assume for uh, your child? Yeah, yeah, sure, for my child. Mm, okay, well, anyway, um, okay, that sounds good. I like Hot Wheels. Uh, where do I sign up? So you just go to joinmarble.co slash Autopian and you start adding your policies. And not only will you be supporting this podcast, you will also get rewarded just for being a real adult and keeping on top of your insurance. Joinmarble.co slash Autopian, is that right? Yes, David. That's joinmarble.co slash Autopian. We got to talk about the man who quit his job to... I mean, this is this is someone who's like lives what we live, which is just all about furthering car culture. Quiz job to make a documentary about a dead automobile brand. <laughs> Thanks for coming back to the Autopian Podcast. The that. 72 ambassador. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, hey, well, Joe, thank you for hanging out so long, first of all. Appreciate absolutely. You. Absolutely. It's my Good. pleasure to be able to join everybody here. Pleasure so to have you. Delighted to have you. What is what is the shirt there that you have on? Oh, yeah. So this was this is not an original. This was a remake, but this was a gift from uh I'm holding up the wrong side. A gift from Vince Geraci. He was he's a he was a stylist at American Motors. He had shirts made and asked me if I wanted one, and he was kind enough to uh, I even get my name embroidered oh, on it. Oh, super wow. cool! Wow. So he's one That's of the a- the great folks that we interviewed for the documentary, and a and a good friend. All right, so Joe is he just released an epic trailer for an upcoming documentary. Twenty twenty four is the release date, so there's plenty of time to really dig into dig into it uh joe has been on my he's basically he's been at the top of my do i have any questions about amc if so this is the person to hit up because he knows it all joe are, uh, can you tell us a little about um like why like why'd you quit your job uh and um has it been worth it so far and what what is the plan sure yeah so yeah it, well first I, i'd like to to admit that you know there are definitely people out there who who know more about AMC than me. I I think my strength is my ability to amalgamate those people into one place and uh, and and join their their knowledge together. 
So that's, I'm very lucky to be part of a great enthusiast community of people who love to share their knowledge and their life lessons and their, their history, you know, because the AMC community is so small, uh, there's definitely a feeling of camaraderie inside it. And uh, the people there are very dedicated to preserving the history of this company. But yeah, to the, to the story of the documentary itself. So I have two uh, partners and, and co-producers and I are producing a six-part documentary series called The Last Independent Automaker. It is the history of American Motors, basically from when the company was founded at the end of World War II in that sort of post-war uh, sort of chaotic auto market period until it was bought out by Chrysler in the late 80s. And so that's the, the bulk of the story is those, those decades there. And so we're working together to interview the remaining, you know, former employees who are still around and piece the story together through research and, you know, personal memories and put together what we hope is the, the final word in AMC history. And it, it, what you have so far, and I, I don't know if we're going to be able to play this uh, on air or not, but either way, I'm going to play it. Uh, it. It's an interview uh, of a man who went to look at Jeep for yes. Uh, well, we'll have we'll have you intro it. Let me let me share my screen. Absolutely and, uh, sure. So I'll, this I'll provide some context. Special. Yes. Yeah, so I'll provide some context. So as early as the early 1960s, a man named Roy Chapin Jr. was was badgering management to look into buying. I guess Kaiser Jeep or Will, you know, Willis Jeep or whatever it was called at the time. And he really wanted AMC to purchase Jeep. And eventually it got to the point where Roy Chapin Jr. was promoted to, you know, president, or I'm sorry, I think it was CEO, chairman. And he looked, he was like, okay, now that I'm in charge, I actually am gonna buy Kaiser Jeep. And so he sent Gerald Myers, who we see on screen right there, who at the time was not CEO, he later became CEO, but Gerald Myers at the time was like vice president of manufacturing or vice president of product, something like that. And so he sent Jerry Myers to go look it over, go on down to Toledo, look it over and tell me what you see. And then we'll make our final decision based on your report. So I won't spoil it. I'll, I'll let Jerry tell the story here. He sent me down to Toledo and he said, Jerry, I remember his words to this day. I'd like you to go down to Jeep and look it over. And I said, okay, I'll do that. He said, then I want you to come back and tell me what you saw. Okay, Roy, I'll do that. Um, I didn't know anything about Jeep. I didn't think much of it. Volume wasn't so wonderful and the vehicles looked kind of old to me. But I went down and I, <clears throat> I spent, must have been a week in the Jeep Toledo plant. The first thing that struck me when I walked in was how many people there were. The, the assembly lines were just crowded with people. I mean, a two-man, a three-man job had 10 men on it. A two-man job had four men on it. And it was very inefficient. I said, Roy, here's what I think. I think it's a disaster. You don't want anything to do with it. It's inefficient. It's archaic. It's, it's absurd. Then they had a board meeting. Roy came out and he said, Joey, come into my office. Okay, Roy, what is it? We're gonna buy a Jeep. I said, Roy, you gotta be crazy. I, I, I've been down there, I did what you told me, I looked around, I, I spent three days down there, and it's a disaster. 
Their costs are too high, it's totally and totally inefficient, the product is neglected, and the pace is slow. And I don't know anything about the distribution organization, but the dealers probably aren't any good either. He said, I got something else to tell you. Well, what's that, Roy? He said, well, we're going to put you in charge of it. And you're going to make it work. <laughs> so that's one of many great anecdotes that we got. And Jerry Myers was a, a huge get for us to be able to talk to somebody who's actually CEO of the company from, I think it was 77, 78, all the way up until like 81, 82. So somebody wow. who had that much experience, who lived through a very monumental time in automotive history, not just at AMC, but just in the industry as a whole. Yeah, he was a fantastic, uh, you know, uh, amount of life experience there and that he was able to share some of that with us. And what yeah, the did they go under? They, American Motors was bought out by Chrysler in 1987. 87, that's, yeah. yeah. I personally, as someone, who worked, as someone who worked at Chrysler, I don't believe AMC ever went under. I think AMC ah, is still alive. Okay. All right. Uh, it, it, to me, it feels like, like the heart of AMC, instead of Chrysler absorbing AMC, it feels like Chrysler became part of AMC or they, they melded. Because there's still, there's something about the Chrysler that became, I mean, first off, a lot of AMC people ended, you know, stayed on, but also like, um, it still feels kind of like the scrappy one, you know, it, there's something there. The soul is still there. What do you, David, I mean, am I wrong here, Joe? Please. This is actually a good place to lead into the, for Joe. Like, why AMC? I think I understand why, but I'd like to know. I want to hear Joe's take on yeah. what is it about AMC opposed to all these other car companies that made you want to literally quit your job and do a documentary about them? Yeah. So, so to two things, I'll, I'll bounce off what David said real quick because you're not the first person to point that out. I, you know, I Bob Lutz in one of his books. Uh, later on said something that, you know, the AMC brain power that Chrysler inherited really rejuvenated a lot of their departments because yes, a lot of AMC people kept their jobs when they moved to Chrysler. I mean, there's a lot of guys there who retired, at least on the white collar side of things. The, the blue collar story, unfortunately, is a little less rosy, but on the white collar side of things, yes, there were a lot of guys who kept working there. But to, to answer Jason, yeah, why AMC? Uh, you know, people ask, did you come from like an AMC family? I mean, not at all. I, I, I tell people the, the most exciting car our family has ever owned was my dad had a four cylinder Mustang too. I mean, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. I mean, we were a family, uh, we, you know, we're a family of tempos and Tauruses and, you know, and, wow, a tempo. Yeah. <laughs> tempos and Tauruses and, you know, uh, eventually Subarus, but no, so I, around the time I was, you know, about to get my driver's license, I started reading a lot more car magazines and car books from like our high school library. I would check out, you know, car books. And I realized that there was more than just GM, Ford and Chrysler in the world. And I got particularly interested in old American car companies and the That's whole cool. Hudson, Nash, Packard, Studebaker, that whole realm. And there's just something about American Motors, the fact that they were like the last one, right? The fact yeah. that they made it the farthest into all the way into the 80s. The fact that up until, you know, 1987, you could buy something from the fourth American car company. Um, yeah. And we're lucky right now to be living through this kind of cool rebirth of a new generation of, of independent automakers. But for a long time, it looked like AMC was the last one. Well, yeah, Joe, you're one of us, that's for sure. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, no, no doubt. Uh, it, it, the thing is, AMC, I don't think the layperson really, honestly, the layperson does not know American Motors Corporation. No. The, and, and that's pretty wild to think about because it was the four, it was like, it was a big car company. Like, like it was not a small, like it, what would the equivalent be, Joe, today? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the fact that GM was so big sometimes warps our perspective because American Motors was like still one of the largest employer, you know, in, it was one of the largest manufacturers in the United States, just smaller than, you know, GM, Ford, right. Chrysler. But I mean, at their peak, they probably employed 30,000 some people. I mean, the factory itself employed 15,000 people when things were busy, uh, you know, and that's, and like I said, then th around 30,000, I mean, they had plants in other countries. They had deals to distribute around the world. I mean, this was not a diminutive uh, manufacturer. I mean, there were times where when things were good, they were building 300,000, 400,000, 500,000 cars a year. So to have them just disappear out of the market, I mean, it would be, it'd be like if Mazda just got bought out and shut down. You know, I mean, I, I can't say for, I don't know what their annual volume is, but I mean, it was, it would be like a significant brand leaving the market. You know, it would, you kind it would of, be a big deal. Would you agree? So I always, the thing that always, you, you know, even knowing how big AMC was, the, the tone and feel I always got from them though. And I think that's why I always love them is they have like this lovable loser quality about them. They always <laughs> seem to be broke. They, and they were so clever with so many things like, Front and rear bumpers were the same on cars for years. They would just swap out indicators for reverse lights. And they like they, every corner they could cut, they did it, but they were so clever. Like the Hornet became so many things. The Hornet became the Gremlin, became the Sportabout, it became the Concorde, and then the uh, Eagle. Like they were so good at stretching what little they had. And how did, did the, pacer, that the Pacer door handle, by the way? Is everywhere. The the tailgate <laughs> handle, my J10 yeah. pickup tailgate, I'm pretty sure that's just a pacer door handle. Oh, that flap handle. Yeah, that was, yeah, the ambassadors used it too, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, basically from 68 onward, almost every AMC had a flap handle. But the weird thing is, they're mm. not all the same. Some of them have what? the keys, some of them have the key slot in the handle, some of them have the key slot below the handle. It's, you know, this is one of those things where I'm not a, a parts guy, but oh, gosh, Ooh, a new handle to, fetish I can see right? coming on. Yeah. <laughs> you you talk to some of these the guys at shows and stuff, and I mean the the knowledge that these people have just even blows me away. I mean, down to like, you know, they're like, oh yeah, well, ambassadors switched brakes halfway through the year. You know, well, if you get an early '73, it's a Bosch, but if it's a you know if it's a late '73, it's something else. And I mean, just like insanely esoteric knowledge that these people have that just blows my mind. Stuff like that won't necessarily make it into the documentary, but it's still really cool to hear. Uh, yeah, just and the way that, that they've taken it upon themselves to memorize every detail. Well, because they have to. The, I, I, when I work on my Jeeps, my old Jeeps, I will find Ford parts. I will find mm -hmm. especially General Motors parts. That AMC, of course, all makes combined is like a very commonly used a term you will find all sorts of stuff from other automakers on an amc it, it, and it changes from year to year it's it, it's the right. weird it was the weirdest car company they were terrible with money it, yeah it, they're lovable losers i mean they, they just right yeah. and there was this there was this weird thing where you know amc would buy parts from the same third-party suppliers as the big three 
but because you'd have a million impalas with the same part and only 30,000 hornets, people would say, oh, well, that's a Chevy part. Well, no, it's a third party piece, but because there's way more impalas with it, you know, catalogs and auto parts store guys will just call it a Chevy piece. So, I mean, there's definitely some of that instance there is. going on there. But and my it, transmission does yeah, say oh, hydromatic. Wow. It does well, say yes. hydromatic. Yeah, and, and so there is definitely stuff like that. And I mean, that was always the AMC guys sometimes have a chip on their shoulder that they'll point out that like the least reliable pieces are the ones they bought from GM. You know, there was issues on the Pacer with, uh, you know, it had a, uh, it was the first car they had built with an electronic ignition and first car built with a, you know, had like a Saginaw rack and pinion steering and there'd be, they had early Pacers had steering problems and it was all oh, those GM guys screwed us again. You know, like, Remmans had VW engines as an option for a while, didn't they? Like, yes. couldn't you get a VW four cylinder in the Gremlin, I think. Yes, oh, for and, 77, you know, it was 77 through 80 or 79, I forget what, but yeah, the, like the, the, the lowest tier AMCs, they desperately needed a four cylinder. So they bought a carbureted VW Audi four cylinder. Uh, and and, it and was, put uh, it in the postal Jeep too. And the postal Jeep. <laughs> and I think some 928s and the LTs had that engine. Actually, that engine got around a lot. Yeah. So, so I'm just curious, like, like, so what's the most shocking or the weirdest thing you found in all this research? What, what stuck out to you the most? Uh, I mean, it, well, there was the time where uh, the president of AMC threatened to, or no, Malcolm Bricklin threatened to throw the president of AMC out the window. That happened <laughs> once. Wow. Uh, so they, so this was during a, a video I made about the Bricklin. I actually had the chance to interview Malcolm Brick, Bricklin. And oh, cool. he got into a shouting match with Bill Lunenberg over the fact that AMC wouldn't deliver the V8 engines that he'd ordered because at the time, AMC okay. was building every Cherokee and Wagoneer they could. And they're like, you know, he, Bricklin's like, hey, I want a thousand engines. I need to build my sports car. And Lunenberg's like, yeah, you can take a hike. He's like, I'm selling. Why would I give up a single Wagoneer sale for you? For the Bricklin <laughs> SV, for, for the SV1 sports car. Yeah. Yes. Can, so Canada the, built. <laughs> wow. So yeah. The, so was... the SV, the SV1 had an AMC 360 for its first year. And then he, after that, he switched to a, a Ford 351 Windsor. But huh? yeah, Malcolm Bricklin, if, if, if Bricklin could be trusted, according to him, uh, Bill Lunenberg had some choice words for him <laughs> when he called him up and asked where his engines were. Wow. <laughs> and so they got, the things got pretty heated. Bricklin, Bricklin, that what a oh, you, could, you could definitely trust Bricklin. Oh yeah, he was solid. <laughs> oh Actually, my gosh, he ah. Subaru to America too. So your uh, your personal yeah. history, Joe, is yeah. very tied to Malcolm Bricklin now. Yeah, but but no, I think you're all right. I think that AMC definitely has. I think part of what appeals to me and a lot of the people in the community is that there's this underdog feeling, right? It's it's yeah. people people love an underdog it's 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 the per and that's what makes it the perfect theme for a documentary or a movie you know it's 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 people want to hear an underdog story and there were really times where when amc really was at its best it was when it did clever things like that it was when it would share components yeah. and handles and parts and pieces and reskin things and you know cleverly come up you know with ideas that other companies wouldn't dare to do like the levi's interior on the uh, the gremlin yes. that had a levi's gremlin, interior yeah. those are beautiful one, that's one awesome. of the one vince geraci the guy who gave me this shirt worked on that 
And he said, you know, when I went to Chrysler, one of the Chrysler's guys said, you know, we really wanted to do a Levi's interior, but, you know, marketing wasn't sure. And sales was like, I don't know if we can sell enough and the dealers don't want it and da, da, da. And so it never happened. And at AMC, it was like, hey, we want to do a car with jeans on the inside. Okay, well, you go to San Francisco, talk to Levi, let's get it done. That's awesome. <laughs> that is amazing. And the, I think the cars had a lot of charm for the era too. The Pacer, I think, is a fantastic design. I love the way it looks. I do. I genuinely love it. <laughs> Wait, why of course you do. Oh, because it's just, you know, that's one of the ones with the, you know, reputation as being one of the worst cars, let's just say. No, of all cool time. Yeah, you know. <laughs> The but guy who designed but the charming. looked at the Pacer's rear end to design the 928 rear end. They just squished it and stretched it. That's true. It, <laughs> and it you know, had like one door that was longer than the other. They would just do things that no other American car maker. Wait, one door was longer than the other? I didn't know. Yeah, the passenger yeah, the, side door. Well, you could probably explain. Door. Yeah, it was yeah. like a couple inches longer. I mean, it was like not trivial. It was like significantly it was significant, longer. yeah. And I think I think one thing that we want to make sure we do in a documentary is that we don't forget what hap- what AMC did in the uh, the fifties and sixties because the narrative is definitely dominated by AMC in the seventies because that's when they made their most colorful, most interesting cars. I mean, you had Javelins, AMXs, Gremlins, Pacers, and all those are awesome. But the the Rambler years from the fifties yeah. and sixties are significant too. I mean. One thing we talk about is that George Romney, who was who was CEO of the company, basically legitimized compact cars as a class in America. Like prior, I mean, you know, prior to the Rambler, people didn't really buy compact cars. And I mean, in the the story often gives rightfully so gives a lot of credit to Volkswagen for teaching Americans to like small cars. But I think George Romney gets left out of that a lot. I mean, there were years where, you know, before the VW really took off in America, you know, AMC would be selling 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 Ramblers, you know, when Volkswagen was still only doing like 5,000 cars a year. Yeah, they so, were, they were, the Rambler was a, a very rational person's car. Like they weren't thought of as ridiculous at all. And I, I think that's a really good point because they did define compact cars in America. They made them something that wasn't just like a sports car. Yeah. And they pioneered unibodies. They did all kinds of interesting stuff actually back in the day. Yeah. yeah. You, and Joe, we're going to find out soon. You, uh, yeah, Joe, you, uh, you interview, I saw in, in your uh, trailer, you interview Mitt Romney. Is that right? Yes. We actually oh. managed, we managed to get Mitt Romney in what was probably the only interview he's done that wasn't about politics. <laughs> so we, we, we kept it strictly about, about the cars, but yes. So my, all of the credit for that goes to my co-producer, uh, Pat Foster. He has written 30 some books and like 800 some magazine articles. He's a prolific writer and automotive historian. And he's written about AMC for years. He actually knew George Romney personally and back in the 80s and 90s uh, befriended him and had the foresight to interview him back then and he became acquainted with Mitt and so he was able to kind of call in a favor for us and get in touch with Mitt's you know secretary and say hey can you set us up can you you know get us an interview and so we had 35 minutes we drove down to DC and did the whole rigmarole and went through security and, and managed to interview Senator Romney and that was that was really cool to be able to hear from him what it was like growing up the son of you know somebody who ran a car company i think that's a pretty unique life experience especially amc yeah what a what a great uh, catch there super huge get 
yeah, yeah, huge get. That's epic. Like to hear from a senator about cars and not politics. Just the idea that you rolled up there with zero intention of talking anything political is just amazing. All you want to <laughs> yeah. talk about are ramblers. Like that's fantastic. I love. Yeah, it. right. It was a, it was a very surreal experience. Like you know, I uh, you know we're unloading our camera equipment. I'm there and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like you know I bought this blazer at Goodwill. You know, I'm like because I'm dressed up and trying to look nice. And I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, I bought this jacket at Goodwill, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, what? that feels on brand for AMC, though. I think. Absolutely. Yes. And, and for the Utopian as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're unpacking all of our stuff and, you know, getting our extension cords and all that stuff set up. And of course, in D.C., like everybody is gorgeous. It was so bizarre. Like every person, I, there were just people jogging and biking and running everywhere and they all are absolutely gorgeous. And I'm like, I don't, I feel very out of place. It's like, Hey, want to talk about pacers? You know, like, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> Pick up any so. jogger you want in DC with that line. I guarantee you. That's, uh, <laughs> that's right. No yeah. Definitely check out Joe Ligo's uh, uh, trailer. Uh, it is uh he, it's going to be crowdfunded, right? Entirely, right? So we're, we're going well, to not, not entirely, but we kind of need, this is kind of like our, you know, we've gotten to the point where we need a boost to get plug, to the next plug. stage. Yes. Woo. So yeah, do it. we need, we need a boost to take this to the next stage. What we're trying to do is we're, we're working with a PBS station, Maryland public television. We're going to hopefully distribute it on public television, but to get us to the next stage of production, we need, we've launched a crowdfunding campaign on GoFundMe that as blown me out of the water on how popular it's been i'm i've been thrilled i'm so incredibly grateful for everyone's generosity but yeah so we're we're raising money that's going to help us get to the next step of our production finish shooting interviews and start shooting footage of cars that kind of thing those are some of the big expenses we face and then of course licensing a lot of old material commercials and old footage of you know cars and highways in detroit and that kind of stuff so we we're doing the full ken burns thing here and you know we want it to be really good so wait, wait, how do you find you on, on GoFundMe? I want to help you plug here, you know? Sure. So if you search the last independent automaker, we, uh, you'll, you'll find us. You'll find the video on YouTube. Oh, good you'll thing I asked. Nobody would have looked that way. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so search the last independent automaker is the name of cool. it. And then the YouTube video has a link to the GoFundMe in the description. And then we also have a website, which is actually called AmericanMotorsMovie.com. So that... That's kind of our fun little place where you can watch the trailer and read about us and learn some more about the project. And there's links there that send you everywhere. So we'll put links in here too in the description of the video. And we have our, of course, the article on the Autopian that links and yeah. another article that Joe wrote for us that will be published soon. I'm going to read the, the All right. This is oh, yes. good. How American Motors employees ended up in a sleazy 1970s movie about sex, violence, and a 30 mile per gallon turbine engine car. Ooh, stay tuned. 60, so. 60 mile per gallon. Oh, did I say it says 60? Yeah, it says 30, it says 60. Anyway, it's uh, it's going to be epic. Um, and get ready to see it on the Autopian. So, Joe, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Absolutely. Joe. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is great, guys. Thanks for listening to the Autopian podcast. Come back next week. It will be epic. Thank you.